Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, and we are an award-winning chart-topping. You know, I don't know how you win awards or (laughs) chart-top if you can't talk. Welcome to the Oddcast. On this episode, a very special guy, uh, a good friend, a guy I've known for many, many years, a tech industry icon and the host of Cloud Wars Live podcast, which I am a regular monthly guest on, Bob Evans. That's right. Bob is back. And we have a wide ranging conversation that intertwines, you know, like a lot of conversations, business, life, what's going on right now, technology um, and many other things. We deal with stuff like uh, how you deal with moments of transformation, stepping up to your calling in times of challenge, in times of crisis, what Bob calls constructive fear, why he says letting your emotions have some free reign from time to time is actually healthy. We talk family and uh, Bob tells us what's up in his life and it's pretty cool. And why Bob thinks the future will have some, quote, dazzling opportunities and much, much more. You're going to love Bob Evans as much as I do. I have no doubt. Uh, visit Splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E, and learn how to turn data into doing at Splunk.com slash D to E. And America's getting back to work. And that's why you need the world's number one cloud business system from my friends at NetSuite by Oracle. Visit NetSuite.com slash different. That's NetSuite.com slash different. And if you're a CEO, a CMO, or you care about driving growth, why not subscribe to Lockhead on Marketing? Uh, It's the number one charting marketing podcast. And um, soon we have a special episode with John Wall from Marketing Over Coffee and the legendary author of Play Bigger and many other great things, Kevin Maney. So uh, to make sure you get that and everything else we have going on on Lockhead Lockhead on Marketing... (laughs) Hit subscribe wherever you get legendary podcasts. Now, hey-ho, let's go. All right, Senator Evans, it's great to see you. How are you? Professor, it's uh, it's more than a pleasure. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm I'm honored to be on your show once, twice, three times. This is a charm. I, I hope I get it right. You seem to keep bringing me back for some reason, and I promise I'll do my best to try to, you know, not mess up this time. Yeah, I figure you could just improve on what you've tried to do in the past. <laughs> well, it's a low bar. That's that's the key. <laughs> Set the bar low. Manage the expectations downward. <laughs> expectations down it's like you know when you go to give a speech and they give you this like insanely great introduction right and then like tell all these things and whatever most of which are com- of course in my case at least complete fabrications and you just stand there and you go and now here he is right and you think well after that there's nothing i, I mean i can only be a disappointment because i am none of those things <laughs> uh so you got to reverse that. You can know that you want the audience to have those expectations and then say you're, you know, middlingly mediocre. Then it's still, they're thinking, hey, he was not that terrible. Yeah, exactly. It'd be better if they said, we, no, we've spent a tremendous amount of money today on uh, the, our keynote speaker because, um, frankly, we got a deal. <laughs> 
You know, there's certain things you don't want to get a deal on. Keynote speakers is one of them. Boob job doctor is another one. Bad, bad idea to get the discount. One buy one boob, get the other one free. Yeah. I'd put rare yeah. lamb in that category. Lamb? Yeah, rare, especially. You know, if you're gonna have rare lamb, you wanna you might want to make sure it's the good stuff. You know, it's like put, sushi. You know, same thing, right? You don't want somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Brain surgeon, high on the list. <laughs> Whoever that, uh, somebody ran a flight of TV <laughs> recently where the doctor comes in, pre-surgery to the patient. He says, the patient, I said, you look nervous. And the patient says, yeah, I am. And the doctor says, me too. I just got reinstated yesterday. He said, but he said, we'll figure something out. We'll, we'll get this right. I'm sure. Well, if we both are committed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with me. Maybe maybe not the first time, second, third. We we can do this. Well, it's like air traffic controllers too. They 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 can't that we need air traffic controllers who get shit right. Right? Yeah. Certain jobs that yeah. you need people who know what they're doing in. Yeah. I think it was uh Jay Leno <laughs> cracked a couple of jokes once about where he said, and in Chicago, the uh, airline mechanics union walked away from the negotiating table very angry uh, that uh, their their desire had been rejected and that the court ordered them back to work. And Jay Leno said, oh, this is great. Just what you want. Highly motivated, <laughs> highly disgruntled uh, airline mechanics. Great. Let's all go hop yeah. on a plane. Yeah. What happens when the airline mechanics go postal? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when the postal people go postal, it's terrible, terrifying. And all they're doing is delivering packages. Chris, may I say, uh, I don't know in the last year, I'll bet I've received eight, 10 of these, but it's, uh, <laughs> I get a piece of mail and it's in some sort of cheesy, clear-ish plastic bag and it's got a sticker on it. And the sticker says, <laughs> your, uh, your, your letter, your envelope, your package was damaged in the mail, but because we care so much about you and customer service, we're, we put it in this bag and we're apologizing to you because we care so much about you. And I don't know, I guess somebody somewhere, you, you know, maybe you give them a B minus or C plus for uh, uh, effort or initiative, but I don't think that's exactly what the whole 2020 customer experience thing is. I, I just don't feel real good after I get that, in spite of their their big effort. We we fucked it up, but we put a bow on it. <laughs> it's broken. It's and in pieces. This beautiful thing you ordered off of Chinadoll.com or whatever. But hey, we put a blue blue bow on it for you. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and of the last six months, uh, we only did this in five of those six. One month, you know, we we didn't do this for you. We we took care of you. Christopher, can I bring up something? You can bring up anything you want, Bob. Uh, from a recent phone conversation. Yeah. You and I have had some big discussions lately, haven't we? Yeah. They were fat, meaty, profound, uh, really incredibly timely, heartfelt. And I think at any point in somebody's life, him or her, you know, we, we, we feel a certain urgency, a certain calling, a commitment, you know, uh, passionate about it. And at every stage of your life, they're wonderful. They're they're self-affirming. They help us develop. They help us become the people we are and that we need to be. And I think, though, there is something that as those moments, those profound moments arrive later in our lives, 
as we become a more whole person, we understand the world better, we understand ourselves better. I think there's something, you know, incredibly special about those. And I just sense in you, through some horrible tragedies in your life, some horrible things taking place around your community, some horrible things that have taken place across the country. And I think those and your unique personality, your unique set of gifts, the fact that you are a, a, a new citizen in this country and how seriously you take all that, I think they've coalesced to, uh, to really, I think, drive one of those profound moments of transformation and commitment within you. And when we chatted on the phone the other day about the podcast episode we had done a few days earlier, um, I mentioned that uh, after 9-11, uh, there was, you know, President Bush at one point referred, he said, the commitment of our fathers is now the calling of our time. And I felt, Chris, and I expressed to you that I said, I think you have arrived at a calling of your time that summons up you know, all the different parts of you, all the things you've been, all the things you're doing, all the things you've become. And it was really an extraordinary thing to see. And I was honored to have a chance to not just share that with you, but to observe as you sort of move into this new phase. And I just wondered if you think that rings true and what that means for you and what you're doing now and where this next arc of your life is going to take you. Well, I think you're much more thoughtful about my life and where I'm at now than I am. <laughs> Somebody uh, has to be. So I, I thank you for that insight. And it's kind of you to say, I, I, you know, it's, it's weird. The last nine months or so, you know, when you're in a situation where there's really only two choices, continue to walk through fire or just get in a fetal position with a bucket of back Jack Daniels and a big bag of weed and fucking forget it. Uh, which by the way, I did a lot of too. Um, but the reality is, um, there are times in our lives where we get faced with that. And I think many of us in our country and our world have been faced with that because of C-19 and, and the recession that's come as a result. And of course now the massive civil unrest that we have now. So I think a lot of us have gone through things even recently where um, the circumstances are such that you feel like you're wa walking through fire. There are days where you feel like you can't, but really your only choice is, um, as Winston Churchill said, you know, uh, when you find yourself going through hell, keep going. And so for the last nine months in particular in my life, I've been in that situation and I've chosen to um, keep going. And so I think anybody who's walking through fire of significance that chooses to keep going, there's no question you're going to be transformed because, you know, as Frankel teaches us, if you can't change the circumstances, you have to change yourself and change by definition. Well, I guess it's not always positive change. Maybe it's not always transformation. But in my case, I think, I think there has been some of that, um, in the last nine or 10 months because of, uh, my, you know, the personal tragedy we suffered in my family and then everything that's come afterwards for, for all of us since then, uh, you can't go through that much stuff without sort of being, uh, forced to think about life and your life and why shit matters and what shit doesn't and what am I doing and why am I doing it? And all the big questions. 
Well, you know, it was it was just uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the right word is. It was ironic. It was revealing. It was fascinating when you described along, you know, this sense of discovery in some ways you've been through that that author that you talked about, the, the guy, young guy who is the Marine mm. and the book Akshay, he wrote. Yeah. Yeah. About fear. And yeah. right, everybody, we run into these moments. We are faced with good things, bad things, terrible things, frightening things. And fear is one of those things that bubbles up. And fear, I think, is one of the most potent human capabilities or weapons we have, but only if it's used in the right way, in the in a constructive way, when we allow it to overrule our thinking or you know our some of our our higher level capabilities it's it's bad but when we use it in the right way and chris i could see that or i felt like i could see that and hear it in you how you had taken this anger this heartbreak this fear in some ways and you're trying to channel it in a direction that's going to lead to good things and in so doing you're going to become in some ways if not a different person at least a person with different mission different opportunities and different priorities that uh, and I don't mean to be overblowing this, but it was it was uh, that that episode we did on Cloud Wars Live was really eye popping for me. Well, thank you. It has felt that um, as corny as it might sound, my whole life was in training to get to this place. And I think we all have to make a decision. There are going to be times in our lives where life is going to throw evil right in our face. Life is going to throw unimaginable pain and suffering in our face and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it and so what do you do when evil is breathing on your cheek every day all day what do you do when you can't close your eyes because what you see is so far beyond a nightmare that you literally can't close your eyes like never mind going to sleep and nightmares and all that we can talk about that if you like because all that happened <clears throat> as well but literally just can't close your eyes because of the images um that you see and so all of us here, here's the reality I, uh, have i been through something in the last several months that most people won't go through I, I sure hope so i think that's true but we will all go through serious fire of one sort or of another that is not of our making right and and many other human beings have and, and to your point with akshay Ananavati, um, the Marine, you know, I'm grateful for Akshay for putting it down in, a, in his book, Firvana, because it is helpful. And, and he references a lot um, Viktor Frankl, who's had a huge impact on my life from a very early age, writing Man's Search for Meaning. And so we have to turn to these folks. Some of us turn to our faith. You know, I, I don't know how you get through a horrible circumstance without friends and family and some faith there are very it's very unique the atheist in the foxhole and i wouldn't describe myself as a deeply religious person but i am a spiritual person i do believe in god i was raised a christian um, there are things in the bible that are are amazing lessons and, and give me tremendous comfort and things in other religions that give me tremendous comfort uh, i've sought out a lot of religious leaders since this happened in my life and so we have to go into lots of places to try to figure out how to continue to put that step forward when it feels like we can't take another step forward 
And so, yes, I've been through plenty of that over the last nine or 10 months or so. Can I ask one other thing about that, Chris? Uh, so over the last several years, you know, the books you've written that have been so successful, the, your podcast last month, The Pod Storm, your coaching, advisorship, uh, just the innovative way you think about things and pursue things and inspire other people to look at things in those different ways. So you work with a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of young leaders who will be big leaders of tomorrow. Do you think differently now about the sorts of things you'll describe to them and mm. how you encourage them about where they should be going and what to what to put their focus on, their priorities? Yeah, I don't know if it's hugely different, but it certainly sits in a more profound way. You know, my buddy Mike Maples says, start or join a company worthy of your talent. David Ogilvy, one of my very first heroes, says, don't bunt, right? Don't bunt. Swing for the fences, motherfuckers. Yeah. Right? And so um, there's a very big, hey, swing for the fences, motherfuckers, in me. Do things that matter to you. I really believe, you know, you, you could take a cynical view and say, oh, business is just about commerce and getting rich or marketing is just about manipulating people to do things and buy things they wouldn't otherwise. And sure, there are people who do that and you could take that view and there, there are people who, who mean it that way. And legendary marketing changes the world because legendary marketers, legendary entrepreneurs, legendary innovators introduce people to new ways of living, learning, playing, and building businesses and creating value for each other. And and I don't give a shit if people think that's Pollyanna-ish or happy horse shit or whatever. I, I believe in the power of entrepreneurship. I believe in the power of technology to make a difference for human beings. The truth is, in spite of the horrible time we are all going through as a, as a country and as a world right now, this is still the best time ever to be a human being. You would never say, oh, well, it was fucking better in 1732 when we didn't have the internet. Well, it wasn't. And medical technology wasn't better then. It was worse. And if you had to have your teeth fixed, it really sucked. And you were still pooping outside. And, you know, there was a lot of things that have gotten better in the last 500 years. So I, there's no time in history you'd pick other than now. On an adjusted basis, human beings have never been more wealthy than they are now. They've never been more healthy than they are now, et cetera, et cetera. And do we have problems? And yeah, of course we do. But I think now is an extraordinary time. And to your question on younger people, do shit that matters. Make a difference. If you believe what I believe, that we are in a cocoon time, well, there's a place for incremental change. For sure, you make something slightly better. A small change can sometimes make a difference. So I don't want to be uh, silly about this. But that said, we live at a time that requires those of us who can to drive exponential change. You know, an incremental change in equality in the United States is not going to get it done. Enough's enough, right? Black Lives Matter, equality real freedom, real equality. It's time to make that happen. Let's get rid of built-in bias. Let's get after that shit. Some exponential work needs to get done. If you look at what's going on in our industry, 
it's the greatest time in history for the technology industry. There's a lot of things that because of all this misery that we've all been dealing with that you know we've we've forgotten to talk about. You know, there's incredible stuff going on at the intersection of technology and biology right now that's incredibly exciting that holds the promise of dealing with and or eradicating disease. There's huge breakthroughs going on right now in how we how we create and distribute healthy food at a time when we're having a food crisis um, that's very, very exciting. Uh, there's all sorts of amazing, you know, the cloud has unleashed, I mean, everything you talk about every episode on Cloud Wars Live. And so I think we're at a time where exponentialism is required. And I think we're at a time where those of us who can make a difference need to step up and make the difference. I do believe the future needs us. The future isn't going to create itself. The reason you and I have these incredible devices in our pockets is because Steve Jobs stood up and said, I'm going to go fucking make that shit happen. He was a dude. He took a poop every morning, just like you and me. Uh, and so it's time. It's time for people to stand up and make a contribution and to build businesses and to drive innovation and ultimately to make the planet a different place for human beings and frankly, for all life on this planet. I, I mean, it sounds corny to some, I know, but now's the time to come together and make a difference. Yeah. And so I do feel very mission driven about that. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think it sounds corny at all. And, you know, we, we had talked about that the other day. I think that is, uh, I've got a, about a decade or dozen years on you. And it is something that there's certain parts about getting older. I don't care for all that much. The other sides, there are some wonderful things. I think a little bit of wisdom, you know, you make 5,000 mistakes then maybe, you know, the 6,000th time you start, I start doing things a little less stupidly than I did before. And ultimately, <laughs> you get the point, it'll never be smart, but there'll be a lot less stupid than I used to do stuff, which is great. But I think the other side of it is you realize that it's okay about, you know, when you 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 let your emotions have more free reign and these things that we sometimes are feel, I don't know, embarrassed or a little hesitant about because we say, well, it's corny. What isn't corny? It's it's the, the essence of who you are and those deepest feelings. Maybe the issue is we are taught or trained or we somehow come to think that we shouldn't show people what you really think or what you feel. But if you do that, then that is part of the, the, the things that turn you, the hurdles, the obstacles that turn you into that path of incrementalism. Go over that way because it's safer, less risky. You can be just like everybody else and think like everybody else and do what everybody else does and never put yourself at risk because God forbid anybody knows what you really think or you let anybody understand how you really feel about something. So, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, Chris, you know, you, you mentioned Steve Jobs with that. And, you know, he, he, he changed the world with that thing uh, with the iPhone. I think this is a true story. And, you know, maybe, you know, but there was a point at which, you know, Jobs and some of the crew at Apple had come pretty far with this design. And they said, okay, we understand how we're going to do this thing differently. Now we got to get the greatest glass that the world has ever known, has ever seen. They went up to Corning. And I, I think the anecdote is, I believe I, I've seen it and read it, is that jo uh, the the CEO of Corning was, you know, eventually the decision got up to him and he, you know, uh, they told Apple, no, we can't do that. It's too hard. So I guess Jobs got on his plane and flew out, sat with the guy in his office, almost like technically held his hand and said, look, you can do this. It's okay. It's real hard. It's real different. And nobody's done it. You can do this. I'll help you. But it's... uh. 
it is funny, right? Whether it's something deep inside us or stuff we allow ourselves to get conditioned to, to, you know, to believe I can't do this. What a horrible, horrible set of chains to put around yourself. Yeah. I was talking to a, uh, I probably shouldn't say who, but a 16, 17 year old in my life recently and sort of, um, asking him about, you know, dreams and visions of the future and things he might want to do and things he's talking to his friends about and so forth and so on. And, and he was sharing with me how, at least in his world, that there was a high degree of apathy. And he said, well, your generation already created all the cool stuff. <laughs> and we're the generation that gets to use the cool stuff. But like after the internet and smartphones and video games and like, what else is there for us? to create like it's all been done and i said you you remind me of that guy i forget his name now the guy who a hundred years ago said we were going to have to shut the patent office because everything had been invented i mean that's a that's a real fucking quote the guy that ran the patent office said that and i so, so i i shared that quote with him and i said look the reality is unless your generation decides to fuck this up in a meaningful way, the innovation that's going to come in the next 50 years is going to make what happened in the last 50 years look like nothing. But if you have that attitude, nothing's going to happen. I'll tell you that. And I think that you could create more in the next 25 years. It was, that was then, than what had been created in the last hundred combined. And so I hope that's the attitude going forward. Amen, brother. You know, the, the crazy thing about that, uh, this this world of ours, it seems sometimes so random, but I, I think there's a lot of interconnections in the world. So it's 1907, that guy, the head of the U.S. Patent Office says, I don't want to put myself out of a job, but we should close down the patent office because everything that can be invented has been invented. At the exact same time, 1907, in the Swiss patent office, Albert Einstein is sitting there, and he's one of the guys who reviews patents and, you know, makes notes about is it really distinct and all that. But, you know, he spends about half an hour a day doing that. The other half of the time, he's dreaming up the theory of general relativity. So, is it the patent office? No, no. I think it's the the, the POV you bring to it, and uh, that... That's just wild. I, I've got a file somewhere. It's like, you know, amazing quotes about things that didn't come true. And there's the the guy, the French general uh, in the 1918, 1920, somewhere in there. He said, we're not going to waste any money or time investing in these things called airplanes because they will never have any impact on uh, warfare. <laughs> guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A guy, I think it was a DECA, the recording label, back when there were these things called recording labels that uh, he heard the Beatles and he said, no, this guitar and sing-along thing will never catch on. That's never going to be a thing, that guitar thing, yeah. The other one I love, I hear this with podcasting all the time. I mean, you're how long have you now been podcasting, Bob? Um, about 18, 20 months. Yeah, I was thinking maybe coming up on two years. Yeah. And so I get asked all the time, oh, you know. There's a million podcasts now and has podcasting jumped the shark and, you know, podcasts are the new blogs and everybody has a blog. So now everybody has a podcast and oh, you can't make it to the top in podcasting unless you're a major media company with millions of dollars. Uh, and so, you know, we shouldn't podcast it. There's no reason to start a podcast anymore. It's all been done. And, and my thought about that, you know, one of my favorite new artists is this gal Lizzo. 
And, uh, you know, she won all these awards and she's really clever. And, and it's like Lizzo saying, oh, well, you know, uh, Paul McCartney's the greatest songwriter ever, recorded all the greatest records ever. There's no point in recording any more records because Paul McCartney's got them all. So yeah. fuck it. We won't do the new Lizzo record. And it, but then you rob the world of an insanely great, in this case, Lizzo artist. And so I, all that thinking is insane to me. The yeah. human creativity and innovation is uh, nowhere near uh, over, <laughs> best I could tell. And we need it more than ever. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. You know, we need legendary entrepreneurs to stand up. We need legendary creators to stand up. We need legendary innovators to stand up. We need it now. The world's in fucking trouble. Somebody needs to stand up and take us forward. Chris, one of my sort of new heroes is a guy who's the CEO of Novartis. His name is uh, Vas Narasimhan. And he made a video recently. It's maybe two and a half, three minutes long. But uh, in this like 150 second video, he sort of shatters this notion. It's, it, he's a fantastic speaker. You could just see the ideas firing out of his head. But his whole thing is, for whatever reason, he said, we in the pharmaceutical industry allowed ourselves to get boxed into this notion. So, you know, somewhat we've been talking about. Why do we let ourselves get boxed in? And he said in the pharmaceutical industry, he said, we have been, we've allowed ourselves to think and we have trained ourselves to think that to to create a new drug takes 10 years and $2 billion. And he said, well, some of us were sitting around a few months ago and he said, why is that? You know, in the old days, old methods, old approaches, old technology, old thinking, old materials, he said that was true. He said, but we have, you know, carried this forward even into an era when the tools and the raw materials are, and the thinking is wildly different. So, He's doing this deal, Novartis and Microsoft, and the deal is not so much about, you know, for six-year deal worth, you know, X hundred million dollars, but instead they're creating an uh, AI innovation lab. And the sole purpose of that is to attack these boundaries of time and space, 10 years, $2 billion. What about if we can do this in less time? And I think that's going to be wildly inspirational to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, not just in the pharmaceutical field, but that place like that. Like, why do you have to be constrained by what came before? Steve Jobs, your example, right? He didn't, you know, say if I could just make a better uh, suitcase phone, you know, a little bit lighter, maybe put Naga hide on the outside for that special look. No, we uh, don't have enough Naga hide in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, niche down. Uh, why does Naga hide and linoleum connect for me in my head? Are they, is there some connection there? Was that the same, same companies yeah. making those things? Or? Third leg of that stool's Formica. For what's Formica? Oh God, Formica is a. Uh, it was remarkable at the time, and at least in the U.S., is used in millions of households. Created probably like right after World War II. It's a, it's a sheet of very hard plastic that you know can come in any colors and designs, and it's what people put on countertops for a long time. Oh. Very economical, and then the glue, and then the seams. You know, over a pretty short period of time, food crud starts to build up, and then other gunk and muck. And where it goes back and hits the backsplash, that starts to curl off, and you know, little tentacles and arms start to reach out of there. But it was a breakthrough. It was sort of like, and then uh, Corian came to replace that. It was deeper, thicker. You can buff it and fix it. But this progressive uh, stride of innovation. But I thought, Chris, this guy at Novartis, uh, and he says that. 
their ultimate goal there. He said, we want to reimagine medicine. Mm. And he didn't say, you know, we want to save a couple bucks on drug development and, you know, do it in nine and a half years instead of 10. It, it's a completely different mindset. And I, I think, and you and I have chatted about this a little, but I think it's part of the genius of what Microsoft's doing right now is they're helping individual companies transform themselves. But what they are in effect doing is they are changing entire industries. They are forcing not forcing, they're helping the leaders in those industries force profound change on everybody else, reestablishing barriers to entry, the set of expectations, what's possible, what's good. If you can't play up at this level, you better go get in some other industry because you're coming along with this crap from, you know, 50, 70, 100 years ago, and it is not going to play here in 2020 and beyond. So, um, you know, where else are you going to see that? And I, I think, Chris, it's funny. Um, Oh, God, what was uh, William Gibson's breakthrough book? Oh, man, I forget what it's called. He was a neuromancer. But in there, he talked about the the merger. This is 25 years ago. He talked about the merger of uh, Mitsubishi and Genentech. So, you know, uh, electrical technology, electronic technology, and human biology is, you know, the thing he was looking at. I, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, advocating that. It's just pretty cool. We thought of that 30 years ago. But I do think we're going to see that technology is going to get infused into everything like pharmaceuticals, like the changes that are happening in the food business, the food industry, medical industry, medical technology, telehealth. Are, are you eager to go back and sit in a doctor's office for an hour and a half before you get in to be seen and have the you know, first person somebody comes in and says, take off everything but your underpants and put on this blue paper sheet. You know, um, I don't think that's going to be a real big draw for people. No, I'm going to stay forward. home. I'm going to fire up Zoom and we can talk that way. <laughs> no, and, and actually, I think you're on to something really important. I've talked to a lot of CEOs since C19 hit. And they almost to a person have remarked at how much their company was able to get done, how quickly, right? So, so you know, you just think about simple things like, okay, well, uh, you know, I was talking to the CEO, a CEO of a company who's got about 12,000 people recently. Like, okay, well, what happens when 12,000 people now work from home immediately? Like, how do you eat, how do you just get that to happen? And then how do you get them to be successful and productive and serve customers and, build products and market products and sell things and do the books and, you know, blah, 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 right? So first, like 12,000 people disappear. They don't come to work anymore. And that needs to ha that needs to work. And then they need to be productive and successful. Oh, and then, by the way, you need to help them because, like, you know, now their kids aren't going to fucking school. So now they're working from home. Maybe their spouse is working from home as well. They're, they've, they're, so overnight, you're working from home. You have no office. Your spouse is doing the same. Your kids don't go to school. You're a teacher. You know, you can't go to the grocery store. If you do, you're ris risking your life. You know, so your whole <laughs> and, and legendary companies tried to stand up a whole series of things to help people deal with all of this stuff. Right. So you just think about that. And then I've talked to a lot of CEOs who beyond that, C-19 caused some massive crisis. There's a huge revenue shortfall. You know, we had Clint Carnell on the podcast not long ago from Hydrofacial, where giving a Hydrofacial became illegal. So their market category is now illegal. 
congratulations on becoming the category queen. Your entire space is illegal. Now what do you do? Well, they stood up a bunch of new businesses in a matter of weeks. And so, you know, there's an interesting thing, isn't there? When we, when we have a, a crisis as a forcing function to get some shit done, human beings can get some, you know, who, 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 who could think you were going to stand up, um, you know, a, a, a brand new business with hundreds of millions of dollars in category potential, potentially billions of dollars in category potential in four weeks. And yet that's what some companies have done. Yeah. Chris, there's a you know company in the, the Santa Clara service now. They just had their first billion-dollar quarter. And it's such an interesting time for them. Right? They've always had these very, very good, very technical products. And this new CEO who had been the CEO at SAP is sort of bringing them much as you did back in the days with uh, – you know, you created the whole business technology optimization category and took, you know, what was a company with fantastic technology, but the way it was positioned to the world, it was about as boring and headache inspiring as something could have been because it was all about the code and not what the code could do. And uh, when you came in and sort of lit them up with a whole different way of looking at things, it it suddenly triggered through the whole organization how you talk about what you make, how the, what the value is that that represents at the customer, what the customers can now do because you've given them this new capability. And I think that's just a, a fascinating transformation, what Bill McDermott's doing at ServiceNow, and he's pushing them out into airs, right? That were, I don't mean to say it was obvious, it was right in front of him, there's some brilliant moves on his part, but it is one of those things when, you know, like the dogs with the electric fence, you know, what, what? Uh, we we come to think this is the end of my territory. It sure looks nice right over there. A couple, but I, you know, that's not me. That my company doesn't do that. I can't. And I think there's going to be a wave of new sorts of leadership that comes in, and their first priority, instead of being stay in your lane or stay in your space, and you know, don't venture out here. Their first thing is going to be, I'm going where the money is. I'm going where the opportunity is, and we're going to take along the best parts of the company. To catch up with that opportunity, instead of sitting here while you know we get declared illegal as a category or as an industry, or uh, we sit here and say, "Yeah, you know, the world doesn't like this or that anymore. Too bad we're in this business. You know, we gotta we'll ride it out, and I'll be the last one down with the ship." It's a it's a crazy time, and I just hope that through some of these uh, awful times that you know people are seeing right now, those young people that you described that teenager who talked about being apathetic. It's one thing for an old fart like me to feel apathetic. I don't. But if you're ever going to feel apathetic, let it happen when you're older. But when you're young, what a what a heartbreak. The best time of your life. Well, that, that's what struck me too. It's like a guy my age trying to get a guy his age excited about the future. Like, what? what? <laughs> I'm the one that's like, oh, well, back in our day, then it was really great. Yeah. When we invented fire, that was innovation. This TikTok is bullshit. You know, that's what I, we got this backwards here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I the other thing, Chris, you know, I was going to ask, like, what, what's going on in business schools? And not that business schools necessarily drive or create entrepreneurs. In some cases, maybe they inspire them, help them, round them out a little bit. I wonder if some business schools, you look at their curriculum, God, they've got to stifle innovation and entrepreneurship. But I wonder if the best ones are starting to say, 
how do you create the leaders of tomorrow given the realities of, you know, here, here in the middle of 2020, which four months ago you told somebody this is what things are going to be like at the end of June. They'd say you're out of your effing mind. Yet yeah. here we are. And how do we start to train these new people for uh, for this this next generation? Now, do you have that all figured out? Uh, well, I have some ideas that I'm pushing. I mean, I've been all over the fact that that most pe- people are not tuned into for quite some time, which is we're at crisis levels of entrepreneurship in the United States. Uh, you know, it was four years ago now the, the Wall Street Journal declared a crisis in American entrepreneurship and the Brookings Institute and others continue to do research. And the most recent stuff I've seen is, is, is not very positive. So we're at, if not the lowest, certainly one of the lowest levels in recorded American entrepreneurship. That's a big fucking problem. I don't understand why in an election cycle, we don't talk about that. In addition, it, with the whole social change that's going on right now, I don't understand why, why uh, I think Black Lives Matter is a wonderful expression. But another one I like is Black Entrepreneurs Matter. You know, if we want to make a difference in uh, entrepreneurs, if we want to make a difference in, in, in society, in equality, then part of it is equal access to opportunity. And part of it is creating an environment where opportunity can become possible. And uh, I wish I could remember who said this because I'd love to give them credit for it. It's not my idea. I heard somebody say on a podcast in the last couple of weeks, think about all the times in your life where you've been helped by others, either individually or or by society in some programmatic way, a government program, a company program, a local church, YMC, whatever the thing was, a program, a school thing, whatever program, some kind of a fucking program. And, you know, I thought about this for myself. My first business, I started at 18 with my buddy Jack, and I had forgotten this until I heard this. We needed office space. We didn't have any money. And there was a large conglomerate in Canada, I assume they're still around, called Amasco. And Amasco was a new wor- word for imperial tobacco, their cigarette company. And they, on their own, created an entrepreneur program. They bought a building in a, a the polite way to put it would be an up-and-coming area, an underserved <laughs> area of town, right near a highway and, you know, a dumpy neighborhood, right? So they bought this building and they refurbed the dumpy building into a bunch of uh, shared office suites. Anyway, long story longer, they created an entrepreneurship program. You had to apply. If you got in, you got a bunch of things. You got discounted rent. You got shared office services, which this is way before a WeWork or any of these things. So the idea of a shared reception and waiting area and all these you know, infrastructure that you didn't have to pay for that you shared with all the other companies in the building and shared mailing address. And then you could have your little office, which in our case was the size of a, you know, a, a modestly uh, medium-sized toilet. Um, <laughs> but you could you could then rent out conference rooms if you had customers, you know, all these things. And they gave you a management consultant. In our case, her name was Lorna Matta. She was an MBA. She worked for one of the big consulting firms. She was, I don't know, halfway or maybe two-thirds of the way through her career, decided she wanted to give back. And so was doing this as it... Anyway, and I'd sort of forgotten all about that. I was like, wow, you know, here was this major corporation that did something 
to advantage young up and coming entrepreneurs that that Jack and I were able to take advantage of. And I don't know that we wouldn't have been able to start a company without them, but they sure as fuck made it a lot easier and gave us a lot of confidence. And Lorna was really kind to us and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what's my point? I think we need to look really, really, really hard at what we're doing to drive entrepreneurship, what we're doing to drive uh, innovation. And as it relates to uh, some of the disparities with our communities of color, hey, teach them to be entrepreneurs. It's the difference between fishing and you know giving them a fish and teaching them to fish. So, so to get back to your question, long answer longer, I think we need to do a lot more programmatic things to make innovation and entrepreneurship a lot easier than it currently is in this country. Well, I, of course, agree with everything you said. And, you know, one of the points you made there, Chris, as you were describing that, you were talking about these programs, whether it's, you know, at the YMCA or, uh, you know, a Chamber of Commerce, somebody like that, at some development corporation. And there are certainly some areas of cities, of communities, of towns, of regions. Those things don't exist there. So uh, that, that author I mentioned a little bit ago, William Gibson, one of his best lines, I think, is the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Yes. And the manifestation of what you're talking about, of the entrepreneurs who help create the future, drive the future, and what you've been saying recently, the future needs you. If that is going to be a vital function of you know who we are as a society and a government, then that's we've we've got to address that thing of there's a lot of people that have no idea about this no sense of it and even somebody with a great passion for it those programs don't exist in some neighborhoods or some communities some cities some areas where they're so badly run poorly run and i again i want to appeal to the you know the best of the human spirit the best of the entrepreneurial spirit and the best of the capitalist spirit to think that there's going to be lots of people who are going to say, man, talk about a need, talk about an opportunity, talk about a mission, you know, to dive into. Here's a, here's a fantastic one. Well, and I'll tell you, uh, my buddy, Tim Rode has been on this mission for a decade now. And he is in his words, a hick from the sticks from a small mountain town, um, uh, in the Sierras. He grew up with absolutely nothing, got into real estate, got financially free in his 40s and now runs this nonprofit, One Life Fully Lived. And he and I were talking yesterday. And do you know, Tim, we, we One Life, have been running entrepreneur programs and programs that teach self-reliance in inner cities for a decade now. And Tim Rode is a white, white dude. And uh, from a from the sticks, and he might be the least racist person I know. And here is a guy who's created an organization, mobilized a set of people, billionaire entrepreneur, you name it, to go get after this problem, which is how do we teach people life resilience? How do we teach people entrepreneurship? How do we teach people? to achieve economic security in their life, in their lives. How do we teach people to design a life and a career slash a business that, that satisfies the heart and takes care of the wallet at the same time and built this program called the one life roadmap and trained so many people 
who had otherwise been forgotten in these ideas. It's just an extraordinary fucking thing. You know, he, he has taken educating people about entrepreneurship and self-reliance in a heart-centered way, seriously, as a, as a white guy from the sticks, as powerfully as anybody that I know in my life. And, uh, you know, they're taking their game up recently. And I just wrote, you know, I've, I've been, I've done a lot of things for One Life since they started and I've written checks every year, but I wrote the biggest check I've ever written to One Life this year because this is a program that I know works and works for these people. And, and I am one of these people. That's how I recognize it, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and you and I have talked about this before, we all need an example we can relate to. We all need to see ourselves in somebody else who's been successful and we can sort of paint ourselves. You know, we can imagine ourselves being somewhat like them down the road. And it doesn't mean they necessarily have to look like us or sound like us, although that helps. I think, you know, young gals need to see older gals being successful and same thing with guys and people of different relate races and colors and all that. But regardless of how it shows up, we need to have a model that we can point to that says, okay, I'm going to head in that direction. And there's something relatable about that individual that, that, that says that speaks to me that says that I can get there too. If they got there, we all need that. And one life is one of those programs that is, has delivered that. And it, it not just gives hope and inspiration, which is very important and powerful, but a physical, okay, here's the roadmap. Here's a playbook. And is it the playbook? I don't know, but it's a playbook and it's a good fucking place to start. And now we have, you know, young people who come from very underprivileged backgrounds who have 12 income streams, <laughs> wow. right? And I just, I just met a young man that has been through this program, um, who, who went from living in his car, an African-American young man living in his car homeless, and he has multiple income streams, and he's a few years away from being financially free, and he's not 30 yet. <laughs> right? That's what I'm fucking wow. talking about. Let's get on that. Yeah. Chris, sorry, I'm brain slow. One life, is it one life to live roadmap? One life fully lived roadmap. One life fully lived. Okay. Yeah. At onelifefullylive.org. Right. <laughs> one life fully live. Very good. You should have the one life folks on your podcast, by the way. Okay. I'll follow up with you on that. Yeah. And 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 oh, as a side note, One Life's new CEO, Carolyn Colleen, who I've met a couple times. She's been on my podcast. Woo! One of the most extraordinary human beings you'll ever meet. And I'm so stoked she's the new CEO. Talk about coming from a horrible background, a abuse that is unimaginable. And to think she overcame all that, became an entrepreneur, became incredibly successful, and is now taking over the reins at One Life. Mm. She's everything. We, that's, she's everything we want to create in our country and in our world. An opportunity, in this case, for somebody in the most horrible childhood circumstance you could imagine wow. Wow. to be where and who she is today. Those are the opportunities we want to be part of creating. And, and we want, we want a, a world where the Carolyns can come from the ashes of, of the most heinous 
possible childhood and come forward. Yeah. Um, Chris, that's a good jumping off point for the last thing I wanted to, uh, to bring up with you and see what you thought. I'm about uh, three and a half months away from becoming a grandfather. And uh, my older daughter, Ella, and her husband, Stephen, going to have a little girl in the first week of October. And uh, boy, you talk about a mind twister. But, you know, on the one hand, uh, <laughs> self-centered way, I think, how is this possible, right? How can I have children, let alone about to have grandchildren, when I'm not myself grown up yet? You know, how does this happen? So it forces you how to- How did they even let you? children i mean it wasn't there some kind of a test or something you had to get through to even have children i knew a guy who knew a guy so we're, but no it, it's it's uh and again i think it goes back to some of the thing of each stage of your life if if we choose to allow it can be unbelievably special and i i'm an optimist like you i i feel that for all the uh, awful things going on right now and the pain, the agony, the distress that's surfaced all across the country, I'm not trying to make light of that or sweep it away. I do think that the the goodness of this country, the goodness of all of its people and uh, our willingness to, you know, focus more on the stuff that unites us rather than the details that divide us. I, I feel really good about that. And then as I think about it with not just my two daughters, but now a granddaughter and it's, uh, you know, working in this detect business for a while, you get used to sort of some mind bending things, but this might be the most mind bendingest of all. <laughs> so how, how do you feel on the eve of becoming a granddad or a grandpa? If, you know, it, it's shocking. That whole thing of, you know, the, not the, the circle of life. I don't mean to say that, but this thing of, of life, uh, that it, it's sustaining and, you know, that, that it goes on like this. And I can remember as a little kid at my grandparents' house, I, I have no memory of ever speaking to them, but I have these images of them. And that was 60 years ago. And then I have such clear images of, you know, in the middle of the night walking around the house with, you know, one or the other little girls on my arm, you know, when they couldn't sleep. And there was never any feeling like that. It's the most profound and fulfilling and wonderful and uh, exciting thing you could ever have, and then to think about a grandchild. Uh, now it's 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 really something, and I get you know there's a couple technology driven sort of impacts on with me on this. One is that these things now it, it certainly didn't exist you know 25, 30 years ago when my kids were born, but there's now these three D sonograms, and you look at them and it's almost like you can pick out freckles and you know individual strands of hair and. And you tickle They're their feet just, in real time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then um, what was the other thing about it with uh, oh, the technology? Oh, Ella will occasionally send me little videos when uh, baby girl, baby granddaughter is in there starting to kick away like crazy. So I get little videos of Ella's stomach with a whoop, 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 whoop thing going on <laughs> like that. And I say, you know, uh-oh, we got an ambidextrous soccer star because those are two feet going in there. That's not just a, you know, a righty or lefty. So it, it, I think it, uh, you know, in a way, if you let yourself write, you could, like with anything, anybody at any point of his or her life, you can worry yourself to death. Think about what about this? What about this? What about this? And I, I'm just, I'm glad I'm not worried too much. I think about that stuff, but it doesn't, don't let it consume me. I think on the other hand, you've said it before, stuff like it's the best time in the world to be smart, best time in the world to be alive, best time in the world to be a young person. And this little girl is going to have 
two of the most wonderful parents in the world. Uh, and I think she's going to grow up in a world of dazzling opportunity, big challenges, big problems, but that's okay. Cause I think, you know, for the most part, uh, for all our imperfections, humans, Americans have done a pretty good job of overcoming some of those things, making the world better for everybody. And I just think it's, uh, well, clearly from my babbling, it's, it's hard to express just how uh, yeah. extraordinary it is, how extraordinary. Well, and the other sort of interesting thing, of course, is I, I don't know what the actuarial tables say right now, but my understanding is that a child born today is forecasted to live to over 100. Right. Have you seen similar things? I have. I remember I saw some of those at a, at a conference about a year and a half ago. Do you know what a conferences are, Chris? Did, you know, these things that people would actually go. Yeah. I vaguely, you know, I, I, right after fire was invented, I went to a few <laughs> of them, but it's been a while. <laughs> yes. We'd, we'd do a group kill of a yak and roast it over the fire and uh, talk about the early days of, uh, of uh, local area networking, <laughs> downsizing <laughs> off the mainframe, and when that was a big thing, when client server. It's the year of the land. Yes, yeah, the year of the, the land. The year of client server. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was the year of the land for a long time on yeah, PC yeah. Magazine and Information yeah. Week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, you, but what's your line about the <laughs> the longest eight years you ever spent was <laughs> sixth grade, grade three math? math. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, my other one like that right now is fucking a 2020 is the longest decade ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what, what is Tuesday of next week will be halfway through. I think there should be a, a, a celebration halfway. We made it halfway through the decade. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this 20th, uh, century we're 21st now, right? Are we in, I, I, the, you know, my 2020 just sticks in my head. I can't get off the 20. Well, Chris, I gotta say you're, your temporary facilities here are outstanding. And uh, are you going to do some, maybe some stained glass and all those panels there of your beautiful mirror? I think my wife's going to decide what, th what's get decorated here in the old shed. But, uh, uh, but yeah, you think some glass windows would be nice here. Maybe. Well, I mean, you've don't, this is not like you to back off. You've got, you've got input into that, right? Oh, I have a lot of decorating input around here. My, <laughs> my specialty actually you know, on home decorations uh, is pillows. I'm the pillow guy. Yeah. 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 I'm the this guy that decides how many we need, what kinds we need, the colors we need, spring pillows, summer pillows, fall yeah. pillows. Uh, you know, as you know, like most men, I spend a lot of time focused on pillows. Yeah. I got to say, you know, if you could cap the emails you send me, the Pinterest links to pillows to like five a day instead of the current 15 or 20, I would, yeah. I would be grateful. Five I can see handle. See this, this nice yellow pillow I have right here? It goes nice nicely job. with this blue blue couch right here. See, I got that on I got that on Etsy. Did you think about a, a button in the center? Because I, I mean... I thought about it, but see, on this one, I wanted to go no button, but these frilly... Uh, tassely things yes. here on the corners yes. in lieu of a button. See, because if you had a the tassels and the button, it might be too much, but too just much. the tassels, there's a zenness about just yes. the task <laughs> with the yellow. And yeah. uh, by the way, those those particular type of tassels are called fleur de lis. Ah, fleur de lis. Moi, je peux parler un petit peu de français. Ça, c'est la fleur de lis tassel de la pillow ici, Monastique, Carlis Tabernacle. So there you have it. 
No, I have no input on any of these fucking things. I'm a, you know, I don't have to explain this to you. You're a married dude. <laughs> I think these are good things. I think these are my dear wife and I, we did have a, uh, a, a challenge long ago. And it was about when Wendy, who sees colors in the millions of shades, and she'd show me various combinations, you know, pale green with pale purple with a gray. And I'm like a eight pack Crayola. I, I maybe, you know, a good day I can see eight colors. And I was saying to her, I said, I can't tell the difference. And I think what she was hearing was, I don't care. So I tried to, you know, f- flesh out my communication a little more and just something along the lines of, those are all beautiful. I want so much to help you pick the right ones, but I'm unable to distinguish the variations. Yes. It didn't so help, two, but I, I felt better. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help. Two, two things about that. One, women know way more colors than men. Right. We know colors like blue and red and green and shit. Right. Black. We understand these things. Uh, what the fuck? I don't. What's chartreuse? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is it a purple or I don't. What is chartreuse? Right. So. So there's all of these colors that we we just don't know anything about. Nobody ever told us about these things. Maybe some guys know, but I did Maybe that I didn't go to that class either. The chartreuse. No. Taupe class. Mauve. And then the other one, you'll love this. This happened today. So uh, I'm on the phone having a very important discussion with a very big ding dong VC. Seriously, today she comes over. I'm on the fucking phone. She's got something to say to me. It's very urgent. I could tell by looking at her, you know, you don't. So anyway, you could tell when the woman you love needs to say something urgent. So I put it on mute and I take the one earbud out and I'm looking at her. And I, I swear I'm not making this up, Bob. Here's what she says to me. Here's the crisis. Look at my hair. So I look at her hair and I go, okay. And I'm trying to concentrate on this very seriously. You know, this is a VC. Some people would spend 10 grand to have lunch with, right? She goes, I had my hair cut. My hair, my hairdresser's out of town or I, whatever. And look at my, then the color's all wrong and it's all, and I'm upset. And what do I, what do I do about it? And I'm, first of all, I, I need to get back to this call. I'm like, this can't be the crisis. And second of all, I'm looking at her going, her fucking hair has looked exactly the same to me for easily a decade. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. She's a brunette. It's always about the same length, plus or minus. And like, that's it. I, and I can't see. So, and she's mad at me because I can't see the crisis of the hair. Well, but I went and they did this and they, huh, 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 can't you tell the, huh? You don't even, I'm like, baby, I wouldn't know you did anything to it. Unless you did. She's like, how can you not fucking? T-? So, I don't know. I, do we? I, we don't notice chartreuse, and we really don't notice much about their hairdos, do we? Do you? Do you understand what I'm talking about? If Wendy gets a new hairdo, you can't even tell, can you? Can you tell? Uh, well, I want to. I want to be careful what I say here, since this is being recorded. Remember too that Wendy's a hairdresser, so I I believe I feel your pain. Plus, well, you feel it even more because you you don't pay any attention e- anyway, and she's a hairdresser, and so it makes you. An even bigger douchebag, right? (laughs) Yes, it does. But I want to split one hair with you there. You said, I don't pay any attention. I don't think that's the right way to describe it. If if I did pay attention, it it would make no difference. I'm unable to notice. I'm unable to discern, like you said there. And you want to say, you know, to your beautiful wife, darling, you look as gorgeous as you did every day for the last 10 years. 
exactly. And if I, I, we don't notice these things, it's, 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 and if we did, maybe we'd forget some very important spinal tap lyrics or something. I, I, we did, I didn't even see it. I'm looking at her going, what are you even talking about? Your hair doesn't look any fucking different, which of course makes it even worse because A, I didn't notice the change. And then B, I didn't notice how terrible the change is. Well, Wendy and I, uh, recently month or so ago, we watched the, uh, Jerry Seinfeld HBO thing. And there's one point yeah, in there. Yeah, the new one, right? Men and women and the, how the brains work. And I know the one punchline and ends up with a guy goes like this, nothing. And she goes, exactly. <laughs> so Christopher, before we both get ourselves in, uh, more hot water, I want to thank you as ever, uh, to spend, uh, an hour with you freewheeling, talking about some stuff. It's very special. Thank you, my friend. Thanks so much. Oh, I love you, Bob. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on Cloud Wars Live all the time. And, you know, the interesting thing that this podcasting business has done, it's like uh, it forces us to have regular conversations. And I forget that they're conversations that get shared with the world. Yeah, yeah there is. The, but that's the nature of your genius. That's why you're one of the top <laughs> podcasters in the world, right? They're conversations. Yeah. Um, and it, it, You know, it goes back to one of the things you were on earlier, like about creating the future. It's like people told me, to be, no one's going to listen to this. First of all, business people don't have time. They're not going to yeah. listen to an hour, two guys bullshitting about becoming a grandfather or whatever the fuck pillows and shit right they're not gonna listen to that stuff people are busy you got and you're gonna have to edit that shit down bob just so that you get to the, the this is a term i love the value bombs where are the value bombs <laughs> maybe we should title this episode seven value bombs about pillows and grandparents <laughs> <laughs> instant hit instant hit hey Huge. give me a 30 second elevator pitch full of value bombs yeah, here are my value bombs. Number one, follow your passion. Number two, hustle. Yeah, don't even, I mean, all these guys. And, and, you know, this, this brings me to another thing, by the way. Why is it in this world that you and I are now in, let's just call it business media. You were, you've been in a long time, but I, I'm new to it. You, you've been doing this a long time. But in this podcast author guy world, it seems like there's, in, in business, there's two archetypes. Choice number one is the hustle porn star, the motivational, get out and, ah! and, and, and you know, all the sort of motivational, mind numbingly stupid shit, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, if you don't go for it, all that stuff, right? So there's the sort of meathead value bomb hustle porn star guy right and there's a whole uh -huh. bunch of them and by the way there's women doing it now too there's a lot of women doing it like what <laughs> okay so there's that and then the other choice is the pleated khaki pant wearing blue button down boring as fuck <laughs> management consulting type professorial person who's got like research and charts that it's just like a dental surgery thing. And there might be some really smart shit in there, but the experience is so terrible. And these are the two choices. you got the barking buffoon hustle <laughs> and you got the khaki pant wearing professorial type and you got nothing in between. 
Why are those the choices? Uh, uh, yeah, that, and I, I think of the two, you know, I would pick, I'd pick the, uh, the hustle porn guy just because it, it can be amusing to see, you know, what people are willing to put themselves through and, you know, how you can get somebody wound up. But the, the other, it's the, the one that I'd put a bullet through my head or his is the, uh, the professor guy, right? Cause you get him. Hey, look, can I ask a question about, no, 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 please hold your questions till I get through the presentation <laughs> because, you know, God help us if, you know, we, we take something out of turn or, yeah. So Chris, but I, I, those are also the one of the reasons why I'm incredibly grateful uh, every day. I'm incredibly blessed. And I try to uh, exude that because uh, for all of my faults, which are many, I have, I'm neither a hustle porn guy or the uh, PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint robot. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And long live the in-between zone guys. <laughs> right here. Right here. How about that? How about the in-between zone guys? Yeah. We need to come up with it. Maybe we could do some category design on that. <laughs> it's like somewhere in between the nerdy professor and the hustle porn star. There's some, there is a land in between. We've discovered, we've discovered the new land. How about they're not as bad as you think? Yeah, exactly. On either front. <laughs> we want to manage expectations, my friend. Chris. It's a delight. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bob. Please come back. Happy grandpa ship. Can't wait. Thank you, my friend. Love you, Thank Chris. You, brother. See you Love soon. You too. There he is, the legendary Bob Evans. Now today, to succeed, you need every advantage possible. And that's where my friends at NetSuite by Oracle come in. A complete business system in the cloud, including finance, HR, inventory, and multi-channel e-commerce so that you can manage every part of your business and every penny with precision. Uh, go to netsuite.com slash different today and get your new guide to seven actions businesses need to take now and schedule your free product tour of NetSuite. That's netsuite.com slash different. And uh, my friends, it's Splunk. They help you harness the power of data. And if we've learned one thing in this crisis, it's that data matters. Splunk is the leader in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. Visit splunk.com slash D to E and learn how to turn data into doing. That's splunk.com slash D to E. And um, we would like to thank today's guest, the legendary Bob Evans. Uh, he sure is great. Check out Cloud Wars Live wherever you get legendary podcasts and visit cloudwars.co.co today. My friends at onelifefullylive.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And One Life has amazing programs for underserved communities to help teach resilience and entrepreneurship. Check out the number one, lifefullylive.org. My friends at bottleneck.online are the world's first dedicated distant assistant. And um, having somebody who cares about you and works with you and who knows how to physically distance and get stuff done, that's what you need today. And that's a dedicated distant assistant. Check out bottleneck.online. My friends at DeVry University have been making a difference in helping people get educated, get busy, and build legendary careers and lives. Check out devry.edu today. And 
My friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B uh, websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Build a website that will help you conquer your category at atre.net today. And if you can reach into your pocket and make a difference for a nonprofit, a charitable organization in your community, a faith-based organization, our communities need us more than ever. So uh, if you can, write that check. All right. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. Please consult your lawyer, accountant, or spiritual advisor before acting on anything you just heard. All rights do remain perturbed. Remember, do not pour hot coffee on your crotch. And this podcast comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. We're produced and edited by living podcast legend Jason DeFilippo. Uh, Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do technical execution and lockhead.com. We just uh, updated our website. Check it out. And also, while you're on lockhead.com, subscribe to our newsletter, The Difference. It'll make a difference in your inbox. <laughs> Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Black lives do matter. Keep your hands up and your chin down. Remember that Katie Lang was right. and We need more George Carlin. Legends are different. Listen to Blue Rodeo, only by Pastor Ray's Free Range Eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this odd cast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Grant Cardone. Sorry, Grant, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your difference.